Thanks, Ben. Morning, Community Grace. I'm going to say that too. Thanks, Ben, for reading scripture and preparing our hearts, worship team. I'm going to begin with a story from the Great Depression era. Marjorie Talcott was married and had one child during the Great Depression. The family managed to scrape their way to survive, but as Christmas approached one year, Marjorie and her husband were disappointed that they would not be able to buy any presents. A week before Christmas, they explained to their six-year-old son, Pete, that there would be no store-bought presents this Christmas, but I'll tell you what we can do, said Pete's father. We can make pictures of the presents we'd like to give each other. That was a busy week. Marjorie and her husband set to work. Christmas Day arrived, and the family rose to their skimpy little tree, made magnificent by the picture presents they had adorned it with. There was luxury beyond imagination in those pictures. A black limousine and red speedboat for Dad, a diamond bracelet and fur coat for Mom, a camping tent and a swimming pool for Pete. Then Pete pulled out his present, a crayon drawing of a man, a woman, and a child with their arms around each other laughing. Under the picture was just one word, us. Years later, Marjorie writes that it was the richest, most satisfying Christmas they ever had. It took a presentless Christmas to remind Marjorie and her family that the greatest gift we can offer is ourselves, our presence. This, too, is the great gift that Christ offers us, not only at Christmas time, but at all times, himself. If he, wants, if he was to draw a gift, perhaps it would be just like Pete's, people with their arms around each other laughing. Human community with Christ at the center, God's greatest gift. Welcome to Community Grace, everybody. It's so good to see new faces. I just want you to enjoy yourself this morning, but consider why God brought you here today, and uh, what place you might have in this community. We're beginning, uh, we're in week six of our discipleship sermon series, and let me just catch you up to speed where we've been briefly. It's called Discipleship Following Christ Here and Now. What does that look like here in Warsaw in 2020? We began the series looking at what a Christian is, and we discovered it's one who hears the gospel, repents and believes in Jesus, experiences the grace of God, and then becomes... Jesus' disciple, a follower of Christ. That's what happens when you become a Christian. You become a follower of Jesus. And as you do that, you follow with other people as we are involved in making disciples together for the very goal in your life of becoming more like our Savior, Jesus. Becoming more like Christ is the goal of our life. Now, it might make sense that we can't grow to be a follower of Christ alone. That might make sense, right? And yet a lot of people still try. A lot of people choose to try that, to be on their own. Or maybe we don't choose to be alone, but are still lonely. In our culture, we're surrounded by people, but we can still feel alone. And now in 2020, we're forced to isolate. What does God's Word say about community? It says that there is hope. In fact, when you open Scripture, 
God gives a lot of hopeful truths to be known and lived out. And that's our topic today, why community. What is community's place in our life and in our life's goal of becoming like Jesus in this entire discipleship process we've been talking about? What is community's place in our lives? How can it be the best gift for us, like that opening story? And we will find in God's word today two realities of community for community grace. If you don't have your sermon notes open, I encourage you to do that, to pull those out and follow along if that helps. And you'll see the first of these realities about community for community grace today is that I was created for community. I was created for community. You and I were created for community. God wired you to need it, and you and I flourish best in community. We have been created by a God of community and created for community. So let's look at the God of community first. Our God is the original community. If this, if this is new information for you, prepare for your mind to explode here. Our God is the original community. The triune God, the Trinity, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, existing in all eternity past in a perfect community where there was love and support for each other, care for each other, enjoyment of each other, submission to each other and certain roles that they had. In fact, the creation models God. He is the God of community. In the pages of Scripture, we see that the three are glorifying each other and making much of each other. They have this communion with each other that spills out into the creation of the universe. And we, of all the created universe, we are the image bearers of God. God did not create us as trinities, but we reflect his community when we're together in community. That's our God. That's why in Genesis 1.26, when God is creating humanity, it gives us one of the greatest statements of the Trinity. God says, let us make man in our image. See the plural there? God is referring to his community, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they've enjoyed for all eternity. He says, let us make human beings in our image to reflect our nature by the way they live in community. This is who our great God is. So purpose is important. And God's purpose is in view here. We are made for the purpose of reflecting his nature. We're his image bearers by the way that we live in community. And if you remember in the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, the creation of God was beautiful and he said it was good. In fact, he said it was very good when he ended. But after that, there was one thing that God said is not good. Remember that? He said it was that Adam was what? Alone. Now, this was before the fall of the world into sin. There was something that was not good in God's perfect creation. That's astounding to me. That comes from Genesis 2, 18, when we read, The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. God never intended mankind to live in isolation. So he makes Eve to complement Adam and create this community, the two becoming one, that would spawn and recreate and fill the earth, multiply over the earth, because his image bearers were created for community. There's some problems, though. 
that attack us on this front. Earlier, I mentioned that in 2020, we were being forced into isolation. And I want to address that. In the last few weeks, a group of Christian scientists have been performing a study called Spiritual Impacts, Spiritual Impacts of Pandemic Responses Worldwide. 1,000 scientists are involved covering 22 countries. And I just want to read a few of the points that they're finding before it's complete. On the stay-at-home isolate orders, they report effects of isolation are most pronounced in youth under 26 years old, elders over 80, and people who have already been marginalized. Effects are loss of relational skill, unfocused anger leading to violence. Haven't seen that, have we? Um, (laughs) Diminished spatial awareness and memory. Substantially increased fear and anxiety. And I, I have a friend who's a counselor, and I heard this stat that 25% of young adults surveyed have contemplated suicide in the last month. And I asked my friend, a counselor, if, if he has seen that to be true, and he says, absolutely, it's true. Here's a, some effects they're, they're finding on being declared non-essential. Maybe you've been declared that. Maybe you've lost your job. We see loss of purpose, stress from affected loss of work, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideations, shock, disbelief, irritability, and frustration, poor psychological and physiological health. Brothers and sisters, everyone is essential. Can you receive that today? Everyone is essential. Other various impacts listed, suicide intervention calls have increased seven times. People in treatment programs are losing 60% of progress. Elderly, sick, and or disabled suffer greater in proportion. And then they list a category called spiritual warfare impacts, and this is important for the church. There is social divisiveness, restrictions on worship of God, prayer gatherings, and on and on, things that are affecting our own spiritual warfare that we're involved in. And as churches don't meet around the world as salt and light, we lose this preserving effect that we have in the world. We lose the the effect of having the light of the gospel. We lose the power of our praises. You know, they're powerful. Our worship together, our prayers together corporately. Spiritual warfare is severely crippled. And the impacts are evident. We are created for community. That's where we are right now. So what can we do? And I just want to say over and over again, the most important response that Christians can possibly give, especially today, are to think and respond biblically. That's what the world needs. So let's see what the Bible has to say about this important topic, this part of our lives, as we follow Christ. As we think and respond biblically, the first thing we need to know is where all of knowledge and wisdom begin, the fear of the Lord. We need to remember that God is sovereign, that he's in control. We don't remember that a lot of the times when we panic about things that are going on in the world, in our lives. Remember that God is still sovereign and over and in control over every detail in the world, from viruses to kings. He sets them up and he takes them down. He will work this for good in his part of the plan. Okay, we can trust that. Now, we are responsible for our part. That's why we go to Scripture. So let's be fully on board and obedient in what he says is our part 
in this vital topic of community. It's like making a cake, which I don't do, but my wife loves to do. I eat it. But in making a cake, you can mix all of the ingredients and put them in a pan, but you haven't finished yet until you do what? Until you bake it. Tyler knows. (laughs) And it's the same with spiritual maturity, our life goal. Until you take the rest of the steps, that's repentance and faith, and living out all of God's truth together in relationships. That's where we bake the cake. So people who say, I'm a Christian, but I don't need church, they haven't grasped this truth yet. We are created for this. We fulfill Jesus' mission by being a part of a healthy and active church. Let me repeat that. We fulfill our mission that Jesus gave us by being a part of a healthy and active church. I realize and I want to address anybody who might be listening right now and is not a part of a healthy and active church. Be the change that you can be, but if they reject to be healthy and active in following Christ and are preaching heresy, then leave. Okay? But God wants you in a a healthy and active church. And praise God, the leadership of Community Grace is absolutely committed to leading such a thing. It's not always going to be easy. So be a part of this, of building this church up. So that's the first reality of community, the foundational truth that you need to know is that you and I were all created for community by the God of community, and the church is an essential part of that. The second reality that I want to address today is that community happens best in small groups at Community Grace. Now remember earlier, we, in this series, we established five levels of community, of, intera- of social interaction, where discipleship takes place. And I'm just going to repeat those. It takes place on all of them. They're all important part of our lives following Christ. you got the big corporate gatherings, the big meetings, which we are here today. There's a lot of purpose that we do here today, but that is not all there is to Christianity. Down from that is the mid-sized group where training and relational networks happen. Jesus used that over and over as he did ministry in the world. From that is small groups, that spiritual family. And we're going to talk about that today. Jesus, of course, that was his primary group, his 12 disciples. Down from that is one-on-one discipleship or groups of two, three, or four that really dig deep in your relationship together. When I was being interviewed by the screening team last year, among the most important desires expressed for a new pastor was growing this church in the area of small groups. And I just want to say in this relational community where family happens and discipleship happens, ministry happens, I am in absolutely 100% agreement with that as a priority of a church. Listen to this. In in any church that gets bigger than a house church, the leadership must be, this is a, a conviction that I have, that we are responsible for creating the structure in a church where community can happen. If once your church is bigger than a house church, we have an obligation from Scripture to create relational communities. It must be a priority for a church. And so that's what we do. Why are, why are small groups where community happens best? And to answer that question, like everything else, I want to look in the Word of God. So we're going to go back to the scripture that Ben read just a few minutes ago. An answer that we'll find is that we didn't design it that way. God designed it that way. 
So let's look back in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and where God gives us the first picture of what the church looks like. And I'm going to read these verses again, and then we'll go back and look closely at some words. Follow along. And they, this is the first church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I, every time I read this passage, I am captivated by the scene here, by the, the unity of the first church and the spirit of fire and then the results that God was giving them. And you have to ask, can this still be possible today? And I believe absolutely it can be possible today. So let's see, as we look at this verse, we're going to find four essential commitments that they were devoted to through which God was adding to their number every day and changing the world, turning the world upside down. Christianity at the beginning was so tight together and unified under Christ and so sacrificial and fearless that in three centuries it took over the Roman Empire. How was that possible? Well, we see it right here in the text. By these four essential commitments, be devoted to these four. Now, first of all, I'm going to stop at that word devoted right there because we can't miss that. It's not, you know, these things are good, you know, occasionally. They're, they're pretty important. No. Look at the text. Be devoted. Now, we were just doing this in, in our family worship on Friday, and I wanted to uh, illustrate what that word devoted means. So I called my wife Sarah over and sat her in a chair, and I got down on one knee. I'll go ahead and do it. And I said, kids, I am devoted to your mom. And I looked at her and I said, I will be devoted to you forever. And she said, right back at you. <laughs> and that's a, that's a picture of what we are to be towards these four commitments here. Devoted. First, to God's word. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's scripture. For us to do anything for God, we need to know God and we need to know what he values what he's created, what he's put in place, what provisions there are for us, what his purpose is for the world, what his purpose is for our lives, what he's calling us to do. Knowing these things requires study. But it's not like any other study that you do in school or in the world or for your job. This is holy and transformative study that will change your life and build your relationship with God and empower you for a fruitful and successful life the way he defines that. The church far too often fails to encourage each other to hold each other accountable. Are you in the word every day? I had a friend that said, of course you want to be in the word every day. What day do you not want to hear God speak into your life for that day? Amen? All right, so we need to encourage each other. Get in the word every day. That's being devoted. That's what it looks like. So we are devoted to the Bible as the authority of our lives and our community. Second, they were devoted to I'm going to use the word togetherness. The text says also devoted to the fellowship. And the original koinonia is the Greek word for fellowship. And oh man, what a beautiful term that is. 
but we just live in a day and age where the church has kind of made that mean uh, coffee and donut time, right? Fellowship time, get your coffee and donut. So I'm going to use the word togetherness here instead. The actual word, the original word meant being close-knit together by a common bond over a shared purpose. That's our lives. That's what we mean by community, which, praise God, is in the name of our church. I'm thankful for that. And we are in danger without this kind of close-knitness over our common bond that we share. We're in danger without it. There's a great line in Clint Eastwood's movie, Pale Rider. Yeah, I'm going to quote Clint Eastwood today. I have not seen this movie, but uh, this is a great quote. Okay, so in Pale Rider, there's a, I watched the trailer, there's a, <laughs> there's a mountain mining community, okay, this is the classic Western plot here, that's being attacked by this bully and his evil, you know, group of, of guys. And, you know, it gets ugly. Well, Clint Eastwood appears on the scene to save the day. But one of the things that he says, this great line, telling them to stick together, he says, a man alone is easy prey. Only by standing together are you going to be able to face the Lahoods of the world. That's the bad guy's name. And so they band together and fight the bad guy. Think about that line again. A man alone is easy prey. Now let's think about the enemy behind all the bad guys. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Who is easy prey? A man alone. You stay away from Christian fellowship from the church at your own peril. This group... Verse 6, met day by day. And so day by day, they were being strengthened and protected and growing by their togetherness. And you're never going to be any of these things in just an hour or two a week here and there once in a while. So we're devoted to togetherness in Christian community. In the temple courts they met, where the church gathered together, and breaking bread in their homes, where discussions and relationships and working through problems and taking time and enjoying the time all can take place, unlike what we can do here on a Sunday morning. Be devoted to togetherness as Christ followers. Next is prayer. Be devoted to prayer. Prayer, they say, is the most talked about and least practiced spiritual discipline. I don't know about you, but that, that convicts me. The most talked about and least practiced. Praying is awesome. Praying works. God answers every prayer uttered. Why wouldn't we pray? There is tremendous power in prayer and relationship power as well. Prayer is the dynamic force behind everything that God wants to do in your life and in our community. So we urge our small groups to be devoted to praying together. And we are bringing back regular prayer meetings to the church. That was something we have been committed to do. COVID-19 has punted that down the road a little bit, but I want to tell you, some exciting new prayer focuses are coming in the coming weeks and a regular prayer gathering. Would you be ready for that and be devoted to that? Fourth is be devoted to generosity. A healthy church 
has a great heart for giving and sharing as people have needs. And no word captures that better than generosity, being generous. Verse 46 said they had generous hearts. Remember, they all, had, they all shared what they had and took care of whatever anybody needed. Now, here's an important distinction in case you've ever wondered this or haven't heard this. This is not communism, okay? They had together collectively shared. This is just what they did in that first church in Jerusalem. This is not communism. Communism is forced sharing, and communism breaks all 10 of the Ten Commandments. Okay, you got that? See, the difference is this is community. Community is willful, and it's about the heart. And this bolsters all 10 of the Ten Commandments. This is God's system, which is honoring to him. It makes the world thrive, and it gets our hearts being generous. And we have to be devoted to that as Christians. We're, we're something totally different than the world. And that's what the world takes note of, and it has throughout all of the church history, is this, that generosity. Wow, those people are, are different. Praise God. Well, those are the four commitments that devoted to turn the world upside down. It always has. It did for the first church. It has anywhere in world history where it's practiced, where it's being done. So because they're so important to God, we ask for a high level of commitment to these things, especially in our small groups, but everybody that's here in this church. That's why we have a small group leader training today, because we want our leaders to be equipped to lead this kind of a group, and it's exciting. So those are the four essential commitments. Now let's consider four essential components of biblical relational communities that we just happen to call small groups. All right, it doesn't matter what you call them. It matters that they're done well. Those are the four commitments but I want to give four other essential components. Uh, see, because everybody that, that comes here hears the word small groups and has a different view and understanding of what small groups are. Well, these four components of a healthy small group will just give you a snapshot of what we're talking about here. This will help get us on the same page. In addition to being devoted to the four commitments, our small groups are the place where we give and receive things that we need in life. These four things. Giving and receiving encouragement. Everyone needs encouragement. And this is the relational spiritual family where we get it. Listen to Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. The writer of Hebrews writes, And let us consider how to stir up one another. You're not going to do that without relationships. Stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. But what's the alternative? Encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, and it is drawing near. There's nothing that lifts our spirits more and causes us to get out there and do the things we know God wants us to do than people encouraging us and encouraging one another. So we have these environments where we can do that best. Small group communities are the most relationally, intimately um, wired groups where we can take our time and encourage each other. And the second component of being in a small group fellowship is giving and receiving comfort. Now, this is different than encouragement because comfort, when you give and receive comfort, that means that's something that's done in a, in a time of pain in your life, and we all have those too. It just doesn't happen on Sunday mornings that much. Sometimes it does, but this is what small groups are for. for 2 Corinthians 1.4, one of my favorite verses in Scripture, God comforts us in all of our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort 
with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. We go through pain for all kinds of reasons, but as we go, we are able to offer that comfort to other people who are going through that as well. You can't do that without relationships. You've been through things in life, right? You've been through things. So you are a great asset to the small group that you're a part of, a great benefit to people. Next is giving and receiving help. We're making it through this life. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. I'll go ahead and use that. That wasn't planned by humans, but by the Holy Spirit. We love three strands. Thanks, Mike and Myra. Now, here's another picture of this. Have you ever seen the Redwood Forest? Maybe some of you have been there in Northern California. Yeah, I know you have. Uh, These trees are amazing. Uh, Just a spectacle to behold, for sure. And you'd expect these large trees would have deep root systems, deep into the ground, but they don't. Maybe you've heard this. In fact, they have rather shallow root systems, but they're intertwined with one another. In fact, so much so that when you dig it up, you can't tell where one tree's roots end and the next one starts. They become close-knit together like that. And they stand in the face of any wind and storm. This is the kind of relational communities that Christ wants for us, wants to offer us. You'll never become the person God intended you until you're surrounded by the right people. People that help you in times of trouble, but also help you grow spiritually. Help you understand scripture. Help you make it through that disappointment in life. That pain that you're having. That loneliness. Whatever it is. Help you grow intellectually, emotionally, to maturity. We help each other. We give and receive help. Fourth, we give and receive prayer. Now, this is one of the, the commitments that we were devoted to, but I also wanted to bring it back up here because it's, it's something else that we give and receive. This is important, to give and receive this in community. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We give this to each other as we're in a community praying for each other. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So our small groups are devoted to prayer. In light of all this, this is why we're going to do an all-church series this fall that combines the sermons for six weeks with our small groups and children's ministry and youth ministry and their small groups as well. The whole church is going to do this series together this fall, and I want to introduce it to you today. Uh, We've been working on the uh, details behind the scenes, and I get to publicly announce it today. It is the Why Am I Here series, and it's going to start towards the end of September. Small groups actually kick off on September 13th with the Get to Know You Week, and sign-ups are going to begin. I'll talk about that in just a moment, how you can sign up and get involved. But I want to tell you a little bit about what what to expect this fall. I, uh, I led the team that put this material together seven years ago in 2013, and in, a, in, a, in our previous church, and I am... This is one of the top things I've been looking forward to bringing to Community Grace and doing again as our family, now that we have a couple kids that are old enough to do it themselves as well. So consider this question, why am I here? What is my purpose? Why did God make me the way that he made me and put me here at this moment? 
This is an incredibly empowering information because when we grasp why God made us the way he did, it gives us meaning and purpose. It gives us focus on exactly what to build upon, what to do, where to go in life, and this all empowers us to glorify God. Uh, It's incredibly exciting. Uh, There's a few key principles so you know what to expect, and I want to invite everybody to be a part of this. And to be fully, uh, fully engaged in this, you need to be in a small group, at least for those, those weeks, this fall and winter. So here's a few things, a few principles so you know what to expect. Uh, first is the key phrase of the study. It's because, why am I here? Because God gave you a mission and a ministry. He's given everybody a mission and a ministry that is unique and special to you. He's, he's called you to do things and made you the way he did and wired you the way he did and given you the experiences that you've had for a unique and special purpose that only you have. We all need to figure out what that is and get on it. Second is, how can I get the most out of this journey? And I'm going to encourage everybody to be fully engaged this fall by, first of all, turning in the small group survey today. This is going to help us a lot. So in your bulletin, you notice your bulletin's a little thicker today, and hopefully everybody got one, uh, is this little slip. By next week, we hope to have a list of the exact small groups, where they are, where they meet. Sign-ups are going to continue for the next few weeks, but this helps us today uh, as we're forming new groups. So if you didn't get a bulletin and you don't have one of these, I want everybody to stop right now and start filling this out, at risk of you not listening to me anymore. I understand that. Chris had some if you didn't get one. It's pretty simple. Just share that information. And we haven't been collecting, you know, passing down the offering plates or anything. There's boxes on the walls at all the exit doors. Just drop that in there. And this is extremely valuable information for us. In fact, we're, we're going to pull these out during the small group leader training today so we can see the need out there and uh, what people's best availabilities are and what you're, what you're available and what you're looking for. I'll let you know, too, people online uh, or just not able to go to a a house right now, small groups can be attended on Zoom as well. I'm surveying which small groups. We've we've already been doing that. Small groups have been bringing people in on the laptop in the living room. It It works just fine. Okay, so keep that in mind as you're signing up for a small group. Next, speaking in August, we're still looking into the future. Small groups are coming. The next, uh, the next uh, way to be fully engaged is prioritizing your calendars now. Give this a priority. Give God a priority, his people, his work in your life. I know there are lots of conflicts, work conflicts, travel conflicts, sports conflicts. Uh, but give this a priority if you can. And I want to address one sentiment here that comes up all the time. That is, well, I could only make it to half of them, so I'm going to not go to any of them. It would be better for you to go to the half, okay? Your, your small group leader will understand that you're busy, you're traveling, you have conflicts. It's better that you come to a few meetings than zero, okay? I just want to, is that clear enough? I uh, just want to take that away from you if you're feeling bad about not being able to come to all the weeks. That's okay. Come to what you can. God's going to work through that. You'll be a blessing and blessed. And then buying the study guide when they are ready. They're just five bucks each. That barely covers all the 
uh, expense of assembling them. Each person needs their own because the personal assessments and exercises that are in them are incredibly enjoyable and insightful. Uh, so each person needs to have their own book. They'll be on sale in, in a couple weeks. That's all coming this fall. Now, what are some next steps for today? Let me give you a few as we close. First, I'm going to go back to where it all begins. Pray. Pray for God's greatest work and blessings for this ministry year, would you? We're kicking everything off right now. It's powerless without prayer. Would you join in, in just praying for everything that's going on this fall here at the church? It will make a difference in your life, too. So that's where it all begins. And then second, we've talked about commitment. So I will commit at Community Grace by, and here's a few different things that you could choose to do. There's the discipleship resources table we launched last week. If you say, man, I want to I start doing this out of this you know, Sunday corporate gathering, I want to get into discipleship. There's some resources right out there for sale, very cheap. Spencer's going to be out there again, uh, manning that table. The ladies retreat, ladies to get away and talk in building that community. That's intense, and please sign up. Connie's going to be back out there at the table as well. She has a flyer, and we'll be emailing information about that as well. That's coming up. Membership class is coming. Now, that's a way to make a commitment to this church, September 26th, Saturday morning for two hours. Please, if you're not a member already, please put that on your calendar and sign up. Write that on your communication card. You can RSVP for that right now. And then Wednesday night ministries, you know, you need a place to serve or to enjoy. Kids, youth, come. Uh, women's Bible study is, is beginning as well. Men, we're going to have something for you soon, and I'm looking forward to that. Okay, third, invite others. Let's not keep this to ourselves. We have the church business cards. I don't know where mine went. Maybe it'll fall down. There it is. It already fell down. Uh, at at the exit doors, these uh, church business cards, as the Spirit leads you, invite people. And here's what you pray, and if you can pray this right now to God, God, lead me to one person whose heart you are already stirring. And he will. He answers that prayer. And this is going to be an exciting fall. Fourth, I will trust Christ as my Savior and become part of God's spiritual family. If you haven't done that yet, don't leave today without the assurance that your sins are forgiven, that you've been given a new life, that you follow Christ now and will for eternity and glory. Let's pray right now for all of these things. Lord, I, I thank you so much for today, where we are in this discipleship series, how you're already growing all of us, our hearts, our community. And then, Lord, I pray that you will take these truths from your word and just your spirit, just run with it here at Community Grace this, this fall. I pray that we will get out of the way and get on board with what you're doing. I pray that as we close now, uh, your spirit will move in this room, guide us, and bring us that power of worship that your Bible talks about, that your word talks about. Right now, I pray that we'll enjoy it and feel it. In Jesus' name, amen.